0: just so you romp around hello hello okay great so let's all go to bed Twelve thirty at night i'm awakened by them chasing a mouse in my bedroom <laughs> so did they catch it i don't know i just when i realized what they were doing i just put in some earplugs and went back to bed <laughs> no actually in the morning it was in the morning it was in the living room and so my friends know this so there i am in the like, you know, five o'clock in the morning with a yardstick trying to get this thing out from underneath the sofa. So, but yeah, didn't end well for the mouse. So I don't know what's going to greet me when I get home tonight. They, they just seem to, whenever they get to stay out a little bit later than normal, they seem to get into mischief. So we'll see. But it's great to see you all here. Um, hopefully no mischief in your groups. Hopefully all went well, right? So we're going to go ahead and pray and um, see what the Lord has for us here tonight. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, in in Jesus' name, and we come with thankful hearts, Lord. We come with expectant hearts, knowing that you have ordained this evening here, Lord. You have set this time aside for us to meet you here and for you to meet us, Lord. You are so desirous to speak to us. And so I ask right now, God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to hear from you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are so many books that have been written about prayer. I mean, you go up into the bookstore or in different places, so many books that deal with prayer. But is there really any better way to learn to pray than by studying the prayers of the Bible? Hasn't it just been a real blessing for you? I mean, this study has been so rich and so powerful this year. And and each and every week, I know at least in our group, um, for me as a discussion group leader, it's very, very encouraging as you hear the ladies sharing about how they start to put into practice the things that we've been talking about. The different the different things and so it's a blessing to see everyone growing in in their prayer life But um, it's true. If you think about it prayer takes a commitment. It takes time But I think above everything else. It takes a real fervent desire It takes a real desire in your heart to know the lord more deeply And as I was flipping back through our our study guide We've looked at the prayers of so many different people. We've looked at the prayers of hannah We looked at the prayers of nehemiah of abraham we studied King Hezekiah, and of course, we looked at the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't know if you realized it, and I didn't really until I flipped back through it. We have studied more prayers from David than from anyone else. We have more prayers from David. We, from David, we've studied how we need to pray when we make decisions, how we need to pray when we have sinned, when we are hurt, when we're overwhelmed, how we should pray with fasting. And in tonight's study also, which is how to pray through the battles of life. And we know that David's life was so far from perfect, but but his life was definitely, definitely a life that was just bathed in prayer. And that's our goal. That's our goal for each of your lives. It's our, it's the goal for my life that as imperfect as our lives are, that our lives will be bathed in prayer. That's just the bottom line. And so once again, we turn to David tonight. And um, as Donna announced before we broke um to our groups, the theme is how to pray through those battles of life. And the apostle Paul reminds us in first Corinthians chapter six that our lives are no longer our own They don't belong to us We've been bought with a price and we know that's the, the precious blood of jesus christ And so now my life belongs to god And so whether I like it or not whether I want it or not He has made me a soldier in his army And as you know, soldiers just have one one focus and that is to fight. That's their purpose And war is not pleasant war is not easy war is not nice We know it's ugly. We know it requires courage. We know that it requires commitment In fact, paul in second timothy 2 3 he reminds timothy by saying you must endure hardship as a good soldier of jesus christ Some of the battles that we face are short. Others are going to be long There are some battles we can plan for and other ones are going to catch us totally by surprise And there's going to be seasons in your life where you really aren't in any battle. You're not really experiencing anything. And if you're there right now, then enjoy it. Right. But use that time, use that time to train and to strengthen your faith. When somebody's not deployed out in, in the battlefield, doesn't mean they sit around the base and do nothing. You know, they're constantly training. And so we as believers, if we don't find ourselves in the midst of a battle, we need to take advantage of this time and continue to strengthen our faith. So while our bible study is always every every study is for every person We know that tonight's topic the whole idea of being in a battle is especially for those of you who are in a battle right now And that's my is that you would find yourself very very encouraged as we look at david's example here As we learn how to pray through life's battles and so as we go through the passage tonight Which is in first samuel in chapter 30 is verses 1 through 19 as we look at it We're going to break it into three sections The first section is going to be david's Dilemma his dilemma. And that's in verse one through the beginning of verse six. After that, we'll look at David's decision. And that's the second half of verse six through verse eight. And then we'll close by looking at David's deliverance. That's verses nine through 19. So David's dilemma, his decision, his deliverance. And as I said earlier, his life wasn't perfect, but our lives aren't perfect either. But he did turn to the lord to get through those tough tough times of his life And so we want to open god's word tonight and see what we can learn from from david's example here So first of all, we're going to take a look at david's dilemma and that's in I said verse one through the beginning of verse six And when you read in your study guide, you saw that little part that little introduction that we have And it kind of gives us some background information into what led up to this chapter to this situation in first samuel chapter 30 But I want to expand on that a little bit before I read tonight's passage. And so think back about David's life. When he was a youth, um, God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint David, telling him that he was going to be the future king of Israel. But this wasn't going to happen right away. It was going to take a long time. And so during that time, David's popularity increased and and King Saul had his disobedience, his times, his trouble with the Lord. And there came a moment because of Saul's disobedience that God sent Samuel the prophet to tell Saul that the Lord had removed him from being king. And so Saul began to pursue David to kill him at that point. And God delivered David on several occasions out of Saul's hand. And the reverse was also true. There were times when David spared Saul's life. In fact, he spared Saul's life twice. The second incident was in 1 Samuel 26. Now, so 1 Samuel 26, David spares Saul's life. And then in 1 Samuel 27 in verse 1, It says and david said in his heart now. I shall perish someday by the hand of saul There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the philistines And saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of israel. So I shall escape out of his hand So david was so tired of running. He was so tired of of Hiding from saul that he decided to go into the land of the philistines thinking that okay Saul's not going to follow me over there. He's going to leave me alone In 1 Samuel 27, in verse 4, it says that when Saul did hear that David had left Israel and he had gone to the land of the Philistines, that he did stop looking for him. So it says, if David's plan worked, David stayed there among the Philistines for a year and four months. He was there. That plan, as I said, outwardly it appears to have worked, but that plan brought some consequences on his life that he never anticipated at all. So when he's there, he seeks refuge with this king called Achish. He's a king of the Philistines. And the king gave David um, and 600 men who followed him this city called Ziklag that they could dwell in there. So King David and his 600 men used Ziklag kind of as a base. They went out in these raiding parties. And they would go out, they would raid the Amalekites and go raid these other peoples. And when they would raid a city, they would kill everybody, men, women, and children, so nobody could escape. And so when David would go back with all this spoil, with all this loot, he would tell Achish that he had raided Israel. And he had been killing his own people. And so Achish thinks now that David is being hated by his own people. and He's truly turning, you know, to stay with the Philistines. Now, all of David's lies began to unravel once, though, when Achish invited David to go to war against the nation of Israel. The Philistines were going to attack Israel. Achish says, you're going to come with us. David said, I'm with you. And although he said that he was ready to go to battle, I can only imagine in his heart what was going on at that point. But God spared David. He spared david from having to go fight against his own nation And so when the other philistine lords got there they all gathered to ra- around and when they saw david In with achish's troops. They said david can't go to battle with us They didn't trust david that he wouldn't turn on them So david was king achish sent david back to ziklag And that's where our story starts today in 1 samuel 30 that tells us what happened When david and his men they get back to their village when they get back to the village of ziklag So I'm going to read in in 1 Samuel 30. I'm going to read verses 1 through the beginning of verse 6. And it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep and david's two wives Ahinoam the jezreelitis and abigail the wife of nabal the carmelite had been taken captive now david was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters my note here says what a mess (laughs) i mean you look at what happened what a mess david is in he'd been raiding the amalekites and the other peoples around there and now they saw this as an opportunity to get back at david Because when david and his 600 men took off they basically left ziklag unprotected So the Amalekites swooped in and they were only looking for spoil. They weren't looking for a battle And as we know, they didn't kill anyone They took the women and the children because they could sell them as slaves to egypt. For example, they could make a lot of money that way now when it says um, in verse one, they came to ziklag the third day You have to remember they were gone a lot more than three days It's probably their third day on their way back When they left Akish and they're heading back to ziklag It took them three days to get there So on the third day they made it back there But by the time they got there, everyone was gone And so it tells us that they lifted up their voices And they wept until they had no more power to weep I mean they expected to come home and find their families A long journey, you know, and, and rest and stuff And instead they just found the town burned with fire and everyone gone Even david's two wives have been taken captive and it tells us in verse six that he was greatly distressed Because the people spoke of stoning him and that phrase greatly distressed Means like he had extreme anxiety. He had extreme sorrow or pain and it comes from a hebrew word Which means like to be in the in straits like with no way out no escape That's how david felt. There was just no way out. There was no way out of this situation Not only had he lost his two wives, but he had that added pressure because now the people were speaking about killing him. These were his men, the people who had been with him all this time. They were just filled with so much pain. They were just looking to vent their grief. And David, unfortunately, ended up being the one um, who they targeted their grief onto. In verse 6, it said the people were grieved. And that word can be translated bitter. Maybe if they felt that david hadn't adequately protected the city, maybe he should have left some some people there I mean, they didn't take leave any of the men behind. Maybe he should have left some people there We also know that david and his men were very cruel when they went out in those raiding parties They killed all the women all the children all the men everyone So maybe these men even though they didn't find anyone dead They were worried that maybe their loved ones who were taken captive could have been tortured or killed later And what makes all of this even worse Is that this whole dilemma is is totally David's own fault? It's his own doing. You know, he brought this whole thing on himself because he fled to the Philistines to escape from King Saul. But the Lord didn't tell him to go there. We have no record that he asked the Lord if he should go there, but he took it upon himself. Proverbs 29 25 tell us that the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the lord shall be safe and he was fearful of king saul Even though the lord had delivered him so many times out of his hand. He was fearful Some verses that most of us are familiar with proverbs 3 and verses 5 and 6 It says trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths David was leaning completely on his own understanding here. He devised a plan that seemed right in his own eyes but as it says in proverbs sixteen twenty five, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death We can come up with a plan and it seems right to us It seemed right to david But at this moment, I mean it almost led to his death and you know If we admit it our, the plans that we concoct. They never play out as brilliantly as we think they will They just don't we come up. We think we've got it wired We think we cover all of the bases and then it never happens, right? And maybe really think you know david's dilemma. Isn't that different from ours? Because I know the majority of the problems that I experience are self-inflicted I mean if I want to be quite honest the majority of the problems that That I go through is because I didn't put the lord first I didn't ask god what he wanted me to do A lot of times what I do is I just come up with an idea. I run with it and I ask god to bless it Right instead of asking the lord what he wants me to do Now one of my favorite verses in the bible, you know people talk about life verses or our family verse Um, this is probably a new verse for many of you. I bet none of you have this verse as your verse Feel free to take it after tonight, but write it down. I'm going to read it. You can look at it later. It's Ecclesiastes 10.1. Ecclesiastes 10.1. And it said, it says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off. <laughs> 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 Don't laugh. Never mind. <laughs> Let me try. <laughs> try this again. Dead flies putrefy... The perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. And so does a little folly to one who's respected for wisdom and honor. So the same way that does dead fly, like we said, is going to destroy like that perfume. A little bit of folly is gonna, can destroy us. It can destroy us. As a believer in Christ, I want to demonstrate wisdom. That my decisions, that my words, my actions, my priorities. I want to live in such a way that I'm going to honor God. But you know, it only takes a little bit of folly for me to mess all of that up It just takes a little bit and the same way like we said that dead fly is just gonna ruin that perfume When it falls in there little bit of folly a couple dumb things couple dumb decisions mess everything up And it, it especially my example among among non-believers You know, we're always trying to share with people about christ and we want our lives to be that example but um When the time comes if we don't live and seek god's wisdom then we put the we put that example that we've been building at risk the, um, james brings up the same idea in james three thirteen. He says who is wise and understanding among you Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom So how do we show that we're wise and understanding by our good conduct? That's how we show that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom and true wisdom ladies is meek True wisdom isn't arrogant, it's not puffed up, like as if we know it all. But on the contrary, when our wisdom comes from God, when our wisdom comes from him, we are well aware of it because our own wisdom and our ideas seem so foolish in comparison to his wisdom. That's how we know it's, it, the wisdom is from him. So if we wanna be considered wise by our family, by our friends, by our coworkers, if we wanna be wise, considered wise, then our conduct has to demonstrate that we're relying on God's wisdom and not our own wisdom. And so it could be that even tonight, maybe you find yourself in a difficult situation. And if you're honest with yourself, it's really your own fault. Maybe, for example, you spent more money than you have, and so now you're in debt. We bring these things on ourselves. Or you were dishonest. Maybe you lied and you said something, but now it's coming back to you. It's gotten to that point where you have to lie to cover the lie, right? And we've all had that happen before. Or maybe you said some unkind words that hurt someone who's very close to you and you wish you could take them back, but you know that we can't. And so now that relationship is strained, but it's because of what we said, because of what we did, right? We bring these things on ourselves. or maybe it's just been a series of not so great choices in the past and they didn't seem like a real big deal at the time. But then all of a sudden you realize that the consequences of these choices, they start piling up in your life. And so if I'm in a dilemma or if I'm in a problem and it's my own fault or my own doing like David was then the question is, okay, so what should I do? And I see some of you inching towards the edge of your chair like, yeah, what do I need to do? <laughs> you know, because we're like, we, what do we do? But you're going to have to wait a bit because that's our second point. <laughs> all right. We're going to talk about David's decision, but it's true. We, we get to that point like, yes, I realize that I made this mess. Okay. But you also have to understand that not all the dilemmas, not all the battles, not all the problems that we deal with are our own fault. So I don't want you to think that everything that happens is not always our own fault But there are things there are times we can find ourselves in some kind of a battle And and it wasn't something we brought on ourselves I mean the lord allows certain battles to come into our lives to test our faith We brings I bring some on myself and the lord allows other ones to test my faith a familiar example of all this is abraham Right. He was asked to sacrifice his son isaac. He hadn't done anything wrong in that sense. God Asked him to do that that was his trial that he was under at that time or if you think about job God was bragging to satan about job how how righteous he was right how much he loved the lord And then all of these trials came upon job. It wasn't something that job brought upon himself because of his uh, Behavior or something he did or said And the thing is job also is interesting. He recognized it was a test from god Job knew it because in job twenty three ten, he job is speaking and he says but he knows but god knows the way I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So Job recognized that it was a trial from God. In first Peter chapter one, in verse six and seven, there are some some amazing verses that deal, I think, with this whole idea. And Peter writes, The believers, well, as he's writing to the believers there, he's writing they're being persecuted, they're suffering a lot. And so he's telling them in the beginning of the chapter about um their the eternal hope that they have in Christ, um waiting for them in heaven. And then in verse, um, verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, knowing that you have this salvation, right? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God tests our faith. And Peter says here, it's to test the genuineness of our faith. He wants to know what our faith is made of just the same way that gold is put into a fire So it brings out all the impurities. So those impurities can be discarded the same way when when we're put through those problems When we're put through when we are put through those battles They just show they show us how deep and how pure our faith is or isn't Right depending on the situation and it's not that god does this For him to find out god already knows when god allows our faith to be tested. He does it for our sake Because I don't really know sometimes about my faith I don't know how deep my faith is or how shallow it is or the motive of something maybe that I do So god allows these things not so that he can see what our faith is like but for us to see that So some of the problems some of those battles we directly bring upon ourselves as david did here And they might be the result of something that we did or something that we said but then there's those other times, like I said, that we find ourselves in a battle or in, in a dilemma. That's not our own doing, but maybe God's allowed it to come into our lives as a test of our faith. And when I say the word test, it's um, it's almost like to analyze our faith, to see what it's like. It's not like a test like pass or fail, like, oh, you blew it, you failed. But it's more like to test our faith to, to see what it's made out of, It's to analyze that faith for us to be able to see. Because as Peter says, God wants to prove the genuineness of our faith. He wants to prove it so that our faith will bring praise, honoring glory when Christ returns. So the idea of proving our faith is with that in mind to give glory to Christ. But regardless of how we ended up in the dilemma, dilemma, whether it was my own doing or whether God's allowing my faith to be tried, the question, as I said earlier, is, okay, so what do I do now? Right? What am I going to do at this point? How am I going to get out of this? So we're going to look now at our second point, which is what David's decision was. We saw David's dilemma. Now we're going to look at the decision that he made when he was dealing with his problem. And David's dilemma, we're going to look at it in the second half of verse six through verse eight. And it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, recover all. So the key to David's deliverance and the happy ending that we're going to read about later in verse 19, it's that it's found at the end of verse six. The whole key is found at the end of verse six, where it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Again, we get that word, but that contrast and the contrast is with the beginning of verse six, where it says David was greatly distressed. And I think that's so important. I mean, in spite of his circumstances and they were dire in spite of how he felt and he was feeling pretty lousy. (laughs) He decided to strengthen himself in the Lord his God It was a conscious decision. It was something he decided to do One commentator wrote when we become fully aware of our utter helplessness There are two courses that lie open before us. We either sink into despair Or we cast ourselves wholly upon God So when we get to that bottom when we are that place where there is just no hope where we cannot do this anymore We have two choices. We either just stay there and wallow right? Or we cast ourselves on the Lord. And after all these wrong choices, it was so good to see that David got this one, right? (laughs) David got this one, right? The word strengthened, which might be translated encouraged in some of your Bibles. It means to fasten upon, to seize upon something, the idea of cleaving to it. And notice it says he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. It was very, very, very personal to David. Over the years, David had developed a very close relationship with God, I mean, David wasn't just some religious Jew who followed all the law of Moses Okay to him to david god was very 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 real and god has saved him on many occasions God has saved him from the bear from the lion from goliath from king saul And we know the psalms are filled with all of these heartfelt Prayers and these praises that that david sings up to the lord. It reveals the depth of his walk with the lord So now at this crucial moment in his life David draws on that relationship with God because he's built that relationship with God. And it makes me wonder what about us? I mean, what about me? Am I cultivating that relationship with God? Am I seeking to know him more and more every day? Am I looking to draw closer and closer to God? Because if so, then when those battles hit, I'm going to be able to draw on that relationship because he's going to be my God. He's not going to be the God of the preacher who talks about him every Sunday. He's not going to be the God of my mom or my grandma who told me about him and brought me to church. He's going to be my God. He needs to be your God. It's a relationship that we have to develop with him so we can get to a point where we can say that. And we all know that relationships take time. And so you get out of a relationship also just whatever you put into it. We all know that. We all know that. And our relationship with God is going to take time to develop. And it's not like he needs time to get to know me. But what is it? I need time to get to know God, right? Right. I need to know him better and better and better so that when those battles come, I can go to him. I could resort to him. And it's a very, very personal thing. So I want to just make that a point to all of you to encourage you. Make knowing Jesus a priority in your lives, lady. We need to do that. We need to make him our God. So it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. But exactly what does that mean? What did he do? Well, the first thing he had to do is he had to take his thoughts captive. I mean, David's mind was probably just going a thousand miles an hour at that moment everything that he saw the you know the village burned people gone overhearing his men talking about killing him i mean his mind was just probably racing same thing happens to us and and paul says in second corinthians 10 in verse 5 he says we have to bring every thought captive to the obedience of christ you know on a good day our thoughts are all over the place i mean on a good day my thoughts are all over some good and not so not so good always But imagine, I mean, when we're in those stressful situations, how our emotions are just going to take over, and they're going to override all of our good judgment if we let them. But Paul says to bring it into captivity, and I really like that because it implies that it's not easy. Bring your thoughts captive, right? It's a battle. I mean, whoever wants to be taken captive, when I take my cats to the vet, as soon as I bring the carrier out, right? They don't want to be taken captive, (laughs) you know? You know what I'm saying? So he says, take your thoughts captive. David, David had to do that. So before he could strengthen himself in the Lord, he had to bring his thoughts in. But after he did that, after he like kind of reined his thoughts in, he had to direct him towards God. Because just because I kind of like bring my thoughts in doesn't mean they're going directly to God. I mean, I can be in a moment where like my mind's where I'm just kind of like overwhelmed. My mind's going on. I just, okay, Kathy, just, you know, take a deep breath and calm down. And I can be bringing my thoughts back in, but so I could plan what I'm going to do, not necessarily to focus them on God. So it's very important that when we bring our thoughts you know, captive, when we hold our, bring our thoughts back, that we then direct them towards God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what David was doing at this moment. Psalm 27, 8, which was also written by David, says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So God is calling to David seek me and he says I will seek your face after I finish watching my favorite program <laughs> I will seek your face after I finish talking to my girlfriends. No No, David just says I will see. the Lord calls to us. Come seek me draw near to me. I will Lord No now, right? We all know that we all know that Right. We need to draw near to him because when we draw near to God as it says he will draw near to us So David's deliverance his deliverance began By strengthening himself in the Lord, his God. And he did that, like I said, by taking those thoughts captive and directing his thoughts toward God. And then in verse seven and eight, it describes what he did next. Next thing he did was he inquired of the Lord. And my note here is it's about time. (laughs) All right. He inquired of the Lord. He didn't see God, as we said earlier, about going to the land of the Philistines. And it says that he was there for almost a year and a half, a year and four months. And I'm not saying that he never sought the Lord or never talked to God while he was there. But we don't have any record of that. He was out raiding villages, right? killing people, you know, lying about what he was doing. okay? And so later he was invited, like we said, by Achish to go to war. So he, I don't think he was consulting the Lord about those things. So that's why I'm saying it's about time. Now he's inquiring of the Lord. That's good, David. That's exactly what you should be doing. You know, the Lord promises, he promises that he will lead us and that he will guide us when we seek him. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, the prophet writes, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And isn't that what we want? We want God to guide us over here. Do this step this way. Watch out for that. That's what we want the Lord to do. And he says he will. He promises to reveal himself to us, but we know that we need to be sincere when we seek him. A verse that you're all familiar with in Jeremiah 29:13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for, search for me with all of your heart. And David had gotten to that point; God right now had David's full attention. God had David's full attention, and so he directed that attention toward the Lord. So he went to Abiathar the priest, and the exact way in which he inquired of the Lord using the ephod isn't known to us. But the whole idea here is that he inquired of the Lord. He sought the he sought the Lord's will. He sought the Lord's guidance. In this really, really, really difficult situation that he was in. And if you take notice, he was very clear about what he asked. When he went to God, he was very clear Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him? He was very, very clear, very direct. And God's response was equally clear and detailed. He said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, Gosh, I wish God would speak to me like that and would answer me that clearly, right? Wouldn't that make it so easy? But what does Jesus say to us in Matthew 7, in verses 7 and 8? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So how is it that we hear God's voice? By reading the Bible. It's nothing nothing supernatural, nothing really magic. The Bible is called the Word of God. So when God speaks its words, the word of God, you want to hear his voice. I need to open his word. That's where I'm going to find his will. That's where I'm going to hear his voices. When I open my Bible, Psalm 119 is all about the word of God. Verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you all know, ladies, how much light we need in this dark world. Psalm 119 later on in verse 130 says the entrance of your words gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. You feel like you need understanding for a situation that you're in tonight Open your bibles. God will meet you there Do you need to inquire of the lord regarding a situation like david like we said Set that time aside set that time aside with your bible spend time in god's word and his plan will become clear to you Just as it did to david god will honor your time. God will honor your request. He honors his word So what was david's decision then we know what his dilemma was and what was his decision? He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he did that by taking his thoughts captive and then directing him toward the Lord. After that, then he inquired of the Lord and the Lord showed him what to do. But you know, all of these things would have been for naught if he didn't do the last step. And what was the last step? He obeyed the will of the Lord. He did what God told him to do. Right. And this is what brought his deliverance. So this last section talks about David's deliverance. and That's verses nine through verse 19. I'm not going to read all the verses. I want to summarize something, and then I'll read the last part of it. So when you go through that section, you see that David and his 600 men, God had said, pursue them. You're going to overtake them and recover everything. So David and his 600 men, they took off to pursue the Amalekites. And they got to a certain point, and 200 of the men could no longer go on. And if you think about it, like we said, they spent probably three days coming back from where the Philistines were at. When they got to Achish, they found, I'm sorry, when they got to Ziklag, they found it burned with fire. Their families taken captive. So all that emotional stress with that, from there, he inquires of the Lord and God says, go pursue them. I mean, it's not like they rested and, no, they just took off. They took off and they went to overtake that Amalekite army. So 200 of the guys were just so spent that they stopped at one point. So David continues with 400 of his soldiers there. And as he's going along, they found some Egyptian slave or servant who was discarded out there in the desert, right? Who um, the Amalekites had kind of tossed aside, but they, they got him, nursed him back to health. And it was this guy, this uh, Egyptian slave who led David to where the Amalekites would be. And so I'm going to pick up this last part of verse 16. That's kind of like where the story is right now. And so then it says, and when he, so when that Egyptian slave had brought David, had brought him down, there they were, there the Amalekites were spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither great or small, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Here, when I talk about David's deliverance, I'm referring to his deliverance from that dilemma that he was in. The fact that his men were ready to stone him. Okay, that's the deliverance I'm talking about because this, and this deliverance was accomplished by his obedience. Once he inquired of the Lord and once the Lord made clear to him what he wanted him to do, he obeyed the will of the Lord. And I know I've said this before. Well, it sounds really simple, just obey. But just because something's simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? And what God told David to do Truly was not easy As we said they'd been marching for three days Emotionally they were just drained um, Then here they are It says that they had It says the Malachite army was spread out over the land And while we don't know how large that army was It had to have been huge Because it says no one escaped Except 400 young men So it makes no one escape except these 400 It makes it sound like those 400 were an inconsequential number No one escaped except those 400 who rode away on the camels I mean, it wasn't half the army that escaped. Or would have said something. You know, half the army escaped, but no one escaped except those 400 guys. Which means they must have had a whole lot more that they were able to kill. David only had 400 tired soldiers, right? And if you think about it, he attacked them for basically 24 hours straight, from twilight till evening of the next day, right? God promised David the victory, but it wasn't going to be easy. You know, last week in glorious study, that the, our topic the. The title was your will be done and in that study we saw The victory that jesus won on the cross and we saw that that victory on the cross It came after jesus submitted himself in obedience to the father's will He was obedient and his obedience to the father's will will that's what led to his victory on the cross That's what led to his victory He submitted himself and he was able to have that victory and it's the same for us ladies and you know There may be some of you here tonight who believe that you are being obedient to what God has shown you, but that victory hasn't come. Like I said, there are those dilemmas. We find ourselves in those battles, and we said we need to inquire of the Lord, and then we need to be obedient to what God is asking us to do. And some of you are thinking, but I am. The Lord gave me this promise. He showed me this thing to do, and I'm doing it, but it's not working. Like The battle is still raging on. And the victory hasn't come and I know that has to be so discouraging and all I can do is is give you galatians 6 9 to cling on to because in galatians 6 9 Paul writes Let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season. We shall reap if we do not lose heart It's a promise you will that victory will come if you hang on He says we do not lose heart and how is it that we do not lose heart? In luke 18 1 jesus says men always ought to pray and not lose heart That's the secret. And what's our lesson style tonight? Praying through those battles of life. The scripture's all connected. That is what keeps us from losing heart. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So while you're waiting for that battle to subside, while you're being obedient to God and waiting for that victory to come, you need to cast your burden on the Lord because sooner or later, your strength is gonna waver, but God is gonna sustain you. Christ will be there with you. And as I said, that those words are for those women who, who are being obedient to what God God has called them to do. And and still, even in their obedience, they haven't seen that victory yet, but maybe your situation is different because I know sometimes, like we said, we're in dilemmas. We're in problems that are our own doing and we seek the Lord about it. And the Lord shows us what to do, but we don't do it. We don't do it. We're not obedient always. I know I'm not always obedient. I'm no different than you are. So we're not always obedient. Maybe you are seeking the Lord and the Lord says you need to break off that relationship because that he's an unbeliever. You need to break off that relationship and you haven't. We're not being obedient. Or maybe you're, you're in that situation and the Lord says you need to go and apologize to someone for something you said or something you did. And you haven't done it. And it's very clear. You know clearly exactly what the Lord wants you to do, but you haven't done it. Or maybe the flip side. You need to forgive someone. The Lord said, you need to go and forgive him. You need to forgive her for what she did or what she said, even though they haven't come to you. Maybe have been asked for that forgiveness. The Lord says, no, you go and forgive them, but you haven't done it. You haven't been obedient to what God has shown you. So sometimes we don't experience that deliverance. We don't experience that victory or that growth in our Christian life because we're not obedient to what God's telling us to do. And until we submit our will to his, until we submit and we say, your will be done, Nothing's going to change and we have to understand ladies that a huge part of submission is obedience And when I say obedience, I mean by doing it whatever it is Right being obedient. That's the real proof that i've truly submitted to god's will Because I can say that I want god's will in my life I can say I want god's will in a certain situation But until i'm obedient to what he's shown me to do and I actually do it Then nothing's probably going to change and I can't blame anyone else except myself So obedience is a huge part of submission David's deliverance came as a direct result of his obedience to God's will and how did David know God's will because he inquired of the Lord and he prayed he sought the Lord so David's um, deliverance came as a result of that obedience and how did he get to a point where he sought the Lord during this incredible battle instead of giving into his emotions in that hopeless situation what did he do he strengthened himself in the Lord he brain, he brought his thoughts captive he chose to focus on God but as I said before All of those things bring your thoughts captive focusing your thoughts on god seeking the lord Inquiring asking him what to do all those things really don't matter And they wouldn't have mattered to david if he hadn't obeyed what god told him to do and He hadn't if he hadn't pursued that army and so if we're willing to obey the lord We're going to experience victory in our lives But if I refuse to be obedient Then I shouldn't be surprised when the battle drags on and on and on Because I may not be obedient. I might not be obedient to what God has said. This incident in David's life, when you put it in the whole picture of his whole life, it seems to be a real crucial turning point for his life. Because shortly after this, um, the next chapter, King Saul is killed in battle. And shortly after that, David ascends to the throne. So this is a very, very crucial lesson that David had to learn. When he went and sought refuge with the Philistines, he showed a, a lack of faith in God's ability to protect him from King Saul because he... Saul had sought to kill him many times and God had protected him. But at that point, he said, you know, I'm I'm tired of running. And so he he left instead of depending on God. He actually also showed a lack of faith, if you think about it, in God's promise. Because God had anointed him and said, you're going to be king. He said, Saul's going to kill me. No, if God said you're going to be king, you're going to be king. So he had this lack of faith. But God used this situation to chasten David. He used his bad choice to chasten him and it worked though, because when the moment came and his men spoke about stoning him, David didn't take matters into his own hands. He could have just kind of, you know, took, you know, took them under his authority again. And you know, remember the allegiance reminded him the allegiance they had pledged to him and just kind of, you know, quelled like that mutiny right there, but he didn't do it at that moment. He turned to God. One commentator said true faith and spiritual power. Have their foundation amidst the dust and the ashes of self-abasement and self-distrust In other words for true faith and spiritual power to be manifested in my life They have their foundation. They are born out of the dust and the ashes Of my self-trust in other words My reliance my self-reliance has to be destroyed And then in the dust and the ashes that are left there From there god is going to bring true faith and spiritual power into our lives Not when we're we're relying on ourselves, though, when those things are destroyed. And we all have to get to a point where we realize that we cannot do it on our own. As I said, whatever it is, you have to come to a point where you realize you can't do it on your own. For some of you, maybe it's your marriage. You realize you can't do it on your own, but you need Christ every single day. Or maybe you're dealing with a rebellious child, and you need God's wisdom. You need his strength, and you need his patience because yours is long gone, right? Whatever it is for each of us. Whatever that is, we have to get to a point where we know that we can no longer do it Maybe it's a chronic health condition Maybe it's something the doctors told you isn't going to get better or it might even get worse over time And you need to be reminded of what god told paul And what was it that god told paul? He said my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness And how did paul respond to that? He said then when i'm weak, I am strong And david learned that exact same lesson So you have to think, what is it for you? What is that thing? What are those things? What is that? Who is that person or that situation? What is that thing that you think you had all figured out, but it's about to blow up or is blowing up, you know, right now, right? I I kind of thought about like, what's your zigzag? What's my zigzag? That thing that David thought he had it all figured out. I'm going to go over here. Everything's fine. But then it almost cost him his life, right? We all have those things where we we think we've got it covered, but then God says, nope, that's not, that's not, that's not how it's going to happen. Even when we find ourselves in these battles or in these dilemmas that are our own making, God is able to turn it around. He's able to, even when we get ourselves in the mess, he's able to turn it around and turn it into a powerful victory if we will do what David did. And one more time, what is it that David did? He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he did that by bringing his thoughts captive and turning them towards the Lord. And then after that, he inquired of God. He went to God in prayer. That's what we need to do. And then the last step, he was obedient to do what God told him to do. And that I know for myself is that's where I drop the ball a lot of times. I pray, seek the Lord, and I don't follow through. God tells us to do something. We need to do it, ladies. That's part of it. These are the steps we see in David's life. And these are the same steps, ladies, that are going to help us as we encounter those different battles of life. So I hope tonight, like I said, we're encouraged through David's example. He suffered a lot, so we don't have to, hopefully. <laughs> right? We can look at what he went through, and we can learn from it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are so grateful for the examples in your word. We are so thankful, Lord, that, that we can take those examples and apply them to our lives. But, Lord, we confess that so often um, we don't, Lord. We, we have to go through it ourselves in order to really understand what it is that you're trying to teach us. And so I pray this evening, God, for each and every woman here, Lord, because we're all in different places in our lives. If there's anybody who's in a battle right now, who's in a mess because of her own doing, Lord, give her wisdom. Lord, that she would recognize that, that she would confess that, that she would seek your wisdom and be obedient to do what you have told her to do. And for those, Lord, who are going through those battles, Lord, because you're testing their faith. It's nothing that they have brought upon themselves, but, Lord, you want to reveal to them the depth of their faith. You want them to grow. Then, Lord, encourage those women tonight, Lord. Strengthen their faith. And for all of us, Lord, as I said, no matter where we are at, help each and every one of us, Lord, to be committed to develop that relationship with you. So in those moments or in those times of crisis that we can strengthen ourselves in you because you are our God, Lord. And we are so grateful, Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.